the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Welcome, everybody, to the USL show. We have a special guest today, and it's Kevin Johnston. He is from Sock Takes, and uh, obviously some news dropped from Indy 11 today, and we're going to talk a lot about that. Um, but, you know, about Sock Takes, we were talking before the show uh, that you guys are still live, that there's still a pulse there, that you guys are going to at some point pick up the podcast. Uh, tell us a little more about that, Kevin, and welcome. Welcome. It's been too long. Not it's been too long, but we should have talked before now, right? We've both been around the game for a while. Yeah, for sure. It's great to finally talk to you in, in person, and it's been great connecting with you and uh, all the other people in the BGN family. Big fan of the USL show, and um, I can barely even keep track of all the podcasts you're on sometimes, it seems like. So, but yeah, big fan of all you do, um, covering the STL scene uh, and beyond. Um, yeah, and it's great to be uh, great to be on. As far as sock takes, yeah, we were we're alive. We do have a pulse. We're kind of on a ventilator, I guess. Hmm. But um, we just and it's funny because people have joked before. They're like, did uh, did like COVID kind of affect you guys? And I kind of I'm like, oh, we already were in the tank before that in like 2019. But um, yeah, it's no for no particular reason really. Just a lot of us got other life commitments, you know, as we get older, and it's just harder to devote time to it. And so we've all kind of taken a step back. We're still around. You're still publishing stuff here and there. Um, hopefully we'll bring back the, the podcast uh, pretty soon, but the podcast episodes have been like fairly sporadic in the last like two years. We've probably only done a handful. So yeah, it'd be great to, to come back and, you know, because you mentioned it, I'm gonna, we're going to have to have you on the show now, Phil, too. Ah. So going to have to hold you to that. I'd love to, man. That'd be great. Um, yeah, it's going to be this, this conversation I've been looking forward to for a while too. Um, that's the way it is just as an aside like as an independent podcast i mean it's you're volunteering you know usually late at night like this uh doing something and at the end of the day i'm usually worn out like there's an ebb and flow to this volunteer soccer podcast thing right so i feel you man yeah, yeah. This, this has almost died multiple times for real <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's always great it's healthy to take a step away you know everyone gets burned out no matter what you do you know whether you get burned out on your day job your side job um, it's going to happen eventually. So, you know, I try to, you know, I've been like, oh, is it even worth doing this anymore? But, oh, yeah. you know, then you think back to all the work you put in. You're like, I don't want to let this this baby go yet. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of ups and downs in this business, but it's very rewarding. Very much so. Uh, no judgment here. Everything you just said, I felt that with every ounce of my being. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, I brought you on tonight. Um, um to talk about Martin Rennie, of course. So, you know, the club announced the other day that um, mutually parted ways with Martin. And, um, you know, this time, this is our second recording here. This time I've got the quote pulled up. Um, let's chat about it and then I'll pick out some little sentences to read. But, um, you know, perhaps Martin saw this coming. Perhaps he knew because there was a local broadcast you were explaining that um, had an interview that uh, we weren't able to see on ESPN that said some. Uh, not damning things, but just very, very forward things, almost like he knew it was coming. Do you, how did you find out the news and, and how did you feel about those quotes once you found them? 
Yeah, I found out the news just kind of like everyone else did. Uh, I woke up, was getting ready for work yesterday, and sure enough, the huge bombshell. In fact, uh, my wife was joking that she saw the news before me, so she told me, and she was like, did you know? And I was like, oh, wow. And so she felt kind of excited that she broke news <laughs> to me. I'm like, great, some beat writer I am. Uh, but yeah, I, it's been kind of a whirlwind 48 hours, and everything kind of happened really fast. And it was definitely a bombshell, definitely caught a lot of people by surprise. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's crazy times here in Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, so that that interview that wasn't on ESPN Plus was on um, a low. What is what is Wish? Is where you're broadcasted locally? Is that right? Um, Wish TV Channel Eight, which also has a sister station of My Indie TV Twenty Three. So it's kind of the same network, but yeah. a different channel. So, but yeah, it was on I think My Indie TV Twenty Three. So gotcha. if you had a DVR to were able to like pause your TV, then you could have seen that uh, tumultuous interview. There, were, there was another post-game interview on the Indy 11 official Twitch page, um, and he they those comments weren't as bold. They he still was kind of um, you know complaining about the pitch there and complaining about how he can't get his team to kind of to play how he wants there. But uh, he wasn't, I guess, to to, to kind of describe this flying off the rails. He wasn't really uh, quite amped up and turned up to 100 in, in that second interview, more so than, than the first one that a lot of people didn't see. But, uh, yeah, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, a great place to see those comments, my buddy Drew Thompson, who does a great job uh, covering the Indy 11. His website is The Game Beckons. I urge you all to check that out. He's got great coverage. But, yeah, he, he captured the quotes, and so you can see um, the more juicy stuff you can find there as opposed to you could go rewatch the the – the second post-game interview on Indy 11's Twitch, but that one's not as exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip around. So I've got the the game beckons.blogspot.com right in front of me here from Drew's awesome article, which I will also refer back to, I'm sure, multiple times in this in this chat here. Um, so I'm gonna skip around the quotes that everyone's been talking about today. Um, I've retweeted a couple times if you want to find them there as well. Um, Rennie says, I've been struggling to coach well on this field, and I don't know that I'm the right guy to take it forward. Uh, is when my eyebrows first raised, for sure. Uh, a little bit of surprise of how blunt he was being, um, skipping down. Um, but I've had a good time here in Indy. It's been a lot of fun, and we've had a lot of great results. But here at the Carroll, I find it difficult to get the team playing the way I want them to play. I have a real idea of how my team should play, how we should pass, how we should move skip down to so i'm looking at that now but certainly want to thank everybody so he also mentioned you know having to talk to the owner to greg greg stemlaw about all of this situation um so he starts thanking people and saying i've had a good time here almost as if he saw this coming a while back right sure sounds like a goodbye to me i don't know about everyone Mm -hmm. else but um and then one thing if you don't mind me cutting in for a second and please do i don't like i assume you did you play soccer growing up or maybe no you continue to, oh no okay well i played like i did um at a, a decently high level and um, like i was able to get good coaching like back in my day there wasn't like a, a ton of good coaches around so i felt lucky i had a great um coach in my club but one thing and i swear this is true at every level of the game um like i always actually hated when the other team got a red card because what happens is like kind of the coach just expects you to, to you know finish the rest of the game and drop, you know, two, three more goals. And so I remember specifically, it was like my second to last year playing. So I was probably like 17 or so. And we were playing like a high, a very important tournament. It was like the last tournament of the year, like the state tournament or whatever. And 
We were down. It was. It, I had deja vu watching. Sorry to ramble, but watching no. the game Tuesday night when when Indy Eleven lost to the Riverhounds one zero. Um, Indy was up a man for the final thirty minutes. Couldn't find the equalizer. So um, anyway, the, that gave me deja vu and took me back to when I was a kid because like literally the exact same scenario happened. Um, and I remember my coach. He like kind of threatened to quit after the game. He was so fuming that we didn't mm-hmm. equalize. I think we played a little more. It was like a full second half and we couldn't equalize, but. You know, guys were still trying hard. It wasn't like we laid down or, you know. Um, but so, yeah, it took me back to that. And I swear nothing will get a coach more fuming at any level of the game than if you're up a man and if you just don't completely dominate. So mm. I remember from that point on, anytime like the opposing team got a red card, I was just like, oh, this sucks. Um, but even though it's something you should be happy about, but it like it, it puts a lot more pressure on the team to perform. And so being taken back to that place in my mind, um, uh, and I know like it sounded, when he started saying those thank yous, that's kind of what made me think like, man, this, this might be serious, but still like in the back of my mind, I thought he was kind of just, you know, just blowing off some steam, just some frustration from the game. Um, and I thought like, you know, this will this will blow over in a couple of days and things will go back to normal. But sure enough, obviously that didn't happen because we woke up the very next morning to the news that, in fact, Mark Rennie is gone. So, mm-hmm. yeah, crazy, crazy town, central Indiana. Absolutely, yeah. And and this goes back a ways, I think. Um, so I think let's pause here and, and let's rewind. I want to kind of go back to even the NASL days before Martin Rennie and, and kind of can you – I'm, you know, you've been around, you know, I talked to Nipun. I was like, who should I ask about this? He gave me your name uh, because he said you've been around almost as long as Drew and Drew's been around forever, I guess. So um, take me back to the NASL days and, and get us up to when Martin Rennie took over. I want to hear a little bit of like Indy 11 and folklore, at least like how you came up to really following the club. Sure. So my First two years covering the, or my first two years um, following the Indy 11, I was just a season ticket holder uh, in the BYB, just spazzing out to the game like everyone else, having a few cold ones. Um, and Indy 11 really struggled the, the first few years. So finally, um, uh, I guess we'll fast forward to year three is finally when the Indy 11 turned the corner. They brought in Tim Hankinson, um, who was a well traveled coach, many stops, stops in Europe, Jamaica. Um, he was like an, the an MLS technical director, I believe, over the whole league in its early stages. Coach Carlos Valderrama with the Tampa Bay Mutiny. Um, and he immediately turned things around. So this would have been 2016. And that was probably the best season in Indy 11 history. I think uh, 2019 is a close second, but I think you definitely got to consider 2016. It's probably the most successful year in Indy 11 history. And if you're unfamiliar with what happened, so the NESL was a very oddball league at the time. They had they split the season up into a spring and a fall session. And the spring was basically a 10-game sprint. So I think the season comprised of, I'll probably butcher this, but let's say like 26-ish games, and something to the effect of like 10 in the spring, 16 in the fall. So like, you know, why not do 50-50, but apparently they kind of wanted to be weirdos. And so um, if you won the spring, this 10-game sprint, then you would automatically qualify for the postseason no matter what you did in the fall. Wow. So that's what Indy did, and they call it the miracle of the mic because uh, Indy had to uh, beat, like, the Carolina Railhawks. They had to beat them by, like, at least three, and, you know, there were all these situations. Well, sure enough, they did it. 
um, and they won the spring, automatically qualified for the playoffs, um, continued playing well in the fall, even though like they didn't really have to, and ultimately made the, the championship match that year and took the Cosmos to a shootout and lost the shootout. Mm-hmm. So um, Hankinson brought immediate success uh, in his first year. And then 2017, uh, the, the 2016 roster was made up of a kind of a bunch of old players. Like, it was kind of a swan song team. A lot of guys up there in age that, you know, MLS vets, like vets from overseas. And so that team kind of like aged overnight, I guess would be a fair way to describe it. Um, they immediately started struggling in 2017. Hmm. And a lot of the same frustrations, how, how frustrated Rennie thought. But Hankinson was the kind of guy, he was like pretty moody. If things were going well, he was great to talk to. And if things were not going well, you know, he would be like kind of grouchy and kind of like difficult to work with, I guess would be a good way to describe it. And so just he, Hankinson's attitude from 2016 to 2017 was night and day. But um, I remember one time in 2017, like very end of the year when just the season was just like in the dumpster completely. And uh, he told me, he was like, if I could just start next year with a blank slate of paper, uh, for my roster, like I'd be way better than I am here. Basically, threw his whole <laughs> team under the bus. Just like, give me a clean, you know, or give me a blank sheet of paper for my roster for next year. And wow. Let's go. But yeah, so he he got let go after that year, uh, and then Rennie came um, when Rennie joined the eleven. It coincided with the Indy Eleven's move to USL. The Indy Eleven's move to Lucas Oil, um, and so he took over then for the twenty eighteen season. And uh, yeah, feel free to jump in with another question. I know yeah, I'm kind of rambling off the whole the whole history. No, no, no. Here. This is what I wanted. Yeah, this is what I wanted because um, NASL is. I have a, such a fascination with it because I don't know much about it, and it seemed like this weird mix of like I don't know, like the, the really high end players, some of the really high end clubs mixed with teams like Indy Eleven, and it's really cool. You know, I'd heard about the miracle on the mic, but I didn't know the full story. So. I think a lot of USL guys are like that. And I hope, like me at least, that they will learn to appreciate the NSA, NASL days and um, and love it and, and hear more about it from time to time. We need to get guys like you on, on the show more often. But um, So thank you for filling me in on that. But, um, you know, I think that's one of the things in Drew's, uh, in Drew's article that, you know, he mentioned how Hankinson actually, he they drew like half the games under Hankinson, I guess. And so, you know, Rennie taking over, it actually seemed to have been a bit of a bump and, and people really liked Rennie when he took over and there was a lot of success in the early days for sure. Um, how? Let's talk about Rennie, though, compared to Hankinson. What was his style? Once he took over, was there like a, a flip of the switch? And, and what did it look like in comparison? Yeah, well, that's what's so interesting about the the return to Carroll Stadium because, you know, Rennie hadn't had to deal with that stadium too often. Um, and I think that a lot of Rennie's frustrations, it, all, it does show his lack of adaptability as a coach because what Hankinson did for that very successful team in 2016, he, which this style of play is becoming more and more outdated as time goes on, as you know, mm-hmm. um, but likes to play in a lot of crosses, you know what I mean? Get the ball out wide to people that give very good service get a traditional box striker, Eamon Zayed, put him up there by the goal. Um, Justin Braun kind of runs the channels. He's also tall and dangerous on balls in and set pieces. So, um, they, I mean, that was a definite style. And, like, I think the numbers back that up, too. If you look at, like, the the teams under Hankinson, they always, maybe not in 2017, but in 2016, they were, like, at the top of the league, I think, by far, and crosses played in. 
And so it was kind of an old school way to play. But on that on that pitch there at Gell Stadium, that possibly was a smart way to play there. So um, Rennie didn't yeah. show the ability to do that. He just he wanted to play one way, and because he felt he was unable to, just wanted to kind of complain about it. Yeah, and actually, I would say this year too, and maybe it's maybe it is Carol because uh, USL Tactics put out um, you know a, a thing on what Indy's tactics are like this year uh, defensively in the attack, which they've struggled in. A lot of it, they want to be direct. So, do you think that's just because of Carroll Stadium that they're lumping it long because of that and skipping the the midfield pretty often? Yeah, it, it's tough to say. And um, shout out to John, I love his work. Um, I love his Amazing. tactical breakdowns. Yeah. Um, I would say that so Rennie's style, he he loves to have a ton of central midfielders. That's like always been his mo. He started to kind of come away from it, and it looked like it was going to be successful. I mean, this is just like a month ago, but yeah. we started off this season playing kind of like a like a three five two. I would classify it as, and then after a few games of that, he switched to a three four three, and it looked good when he made the switch uh, for like maybe two or so games. I think that part of that was when we got the the road win at Louisville when Indy beat Louisville recently, which was like May 29th, I think, and. It's just crazy because, like, at that point, like, for one, Rennie, um, in, like, my story today for the Indy Star, I kind of broke down his legacy and where he stands. And um, as you probably know, living in the Midwest or near the Midwest, uh, people around here are obsessed with Indiana basketball. Oh, it's <laughs> the greatest thing ever, uh, which I went to IU. I'm a, a fan myself. But it, people are kind of, like, delusional and crazy around here about it. So I, um, the head coach there, Archie Miller, um, recently got fired, which was huge news around here. And one of the main things, you know, to, to cite for why he got let go was against Purdue, which is the, our huge in-state rival. Um, he was 0-7, so never got a win in his tenure. Um, I crunched the numbers. Rennie, during his tenure against Louisville, was he won twice, drew four times, and lost six in 12 meetings. So, mm-hmm. And that's counting the recent win. So prior to that kind of lucky win, uh, I didn't watch every second of that game, but I – I think I don't think Indy was the better side. They got two penalties and eked out. They hit both, eked out a two-one win. So, considering like that was a, that was the biggest win since the 2019 playoffs for the Indy Leather, I'd say by far. Uh, but that was only the second time that Rennie had ever beaten Louisville. And then he follows that. What was the biggest win in a year and a half or two years? He follows that up with a draw and then three losses. So that's kind of what what happened to Rennie. And I'm sure we'll get into this more a little bit later, but um, I don't know that he was like imminently going to be fired. Like if, if mm. he didn't like throw that little mini tantrum after the match on Tuesday, I think we're sitting here and Mark Rennie's still a coach of the Indy 11. Oh, really? I, mean, I think it's, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think that him getting fired was imminent from what I understand. So that's where I want to, yeah, I'll cut in here because, um, and this is what I was thinking too. So when Drew wrote this in his article, um, I was like, yeah, this makes sense to me that, you know, obviously I'm a St. Louis FC fan, right? So, you know, last year we had the group of death and I didn't think St. Louis was going to get out of it. And I think a lot of indie fans were extremely disappointed with, with how it went down and St. Louis is able to, to beat them out in for the second place spot, of course, uh, behind Louisville in the group before, um, and so Drew almost drew this picture of um, St. You know the fact that Indy didn't make it into the playoffs last year, put them on thin ice, and then this year after this many losses, perhaps they said, 
if this and this and this happens, then you're definitely going to be out. And it, maybe those things happen and he knew he was on his way out and said something. So, you know, this is just Drew speculating. This is me saying that's what I assumed happened based on, on what happened. But uh, you're saying the opposite. So I, I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think, I guess the best way to explain it would be, so a lot of people like wanted, or it, it made sense to think that Martin Rennie might be on the hot seat in the, um, in the off season, this most recent off season, the, you know, the, but like most people in the know thought it was like probably very unlikely that he would be fired. And okay. uh, I don't, I'm not trying to like shame division two or anything, but it's like, you know, if you're an NBA coach, you're always on thin ice and you can even make mm-hmm. the playoffs and get fired. You know, you have a little bit longer leash when we're talking about lower division soccer. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, not to say that the Indy 11 aren't trying to win or whatever, but, um, you know, if there's a healthy culture, if we're connecting with the community and people are attending the matches, I mean, like, you know, so winning is very, very important. It's not that it's important, but like he's being, he's not being judged as hard on results maybe as, mm-hmm. you know, a coach in like, uh, you know, in a major sport in the U.S., let's say. But so, so I, I, I do. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, so maybe perhaps the alternative could be possible that perhaps he was done, you know, and, and we're just speculating, of course. We're not saying none of any of these things are true, but I just like to get the options out there, the possibilities out there that perhaps he was done. Maybe he, the Carol is that bad, and if he was stuck playing on it for the rest of the year, he just couldn't handle it anymore. He has a good resume. He can go somewhere good, you know, after this. So perhaps he was just done. He didn't need it anymore. What do you think about that possibility? Yeah, yeah, potentially. Um, and I, I mentioned to you this to you off the air before we started recording. Um, so in in kind of digging to kind of see what happened here, you know, because I, when he when Martin Rennie flipped out about the pitch on Tuesday, it wasn't the first time this season. And mm-hmm. it kind of took me back when I heard it. I'll get to the, this story in a minute. But it kind of took me back because I'm like, man, he's still griping about this pitch, right? But I'm like, <laughs> I'm sure I, in my head, I'm like, surely there's more to this story than a disgruntled coach about a playing surface, right? So I approached it, like kind of trying to disprove. I'm like, you know, maybe he, maybe the management was breathing down his neck and he was on pins and needles and about to get fired any day. And I do think like, there, I do think that his seat was starting to get hot. And I think that there was like pressure being put on him. But like, if you look at where Indy's at, okay, they're, all, they're in fifth place right now in the Central Division. That's just one game below the playoff line. There are a couple teams around him in the table right now that have like a game in hand or whatever, but it's what, eight games into the season for him. Mm-hmm. The season is so far from over. They're only six yeah. games out of first place for the division. So this, this season is not like in the tank by any means whatsoever. So I don't know. It, it, it blew my mind um, because I guess I'll, I'll jump into this quick story if you don't mind. But so first of all, the, Martin Rennie was not brand new to the pitch at Carroll Stadium as of like the first game of the regular season. They, due to schedule conflicts, Indy hosted two playoff games there in 2019. And they also had two preseason games, I believe, uh, before the season started this year. And I'm sure like countless training sessions. So he was familiar with the drawbacks of the pitch at Carroll Stadium, right? Um, coming into the regular season. So flashback to the home opener. Uh, against FC Tulsa at the mic. Uh, Indy, I think, was the better side. I think they they outplayed Tulsa, like, slightly. I mean, it didn't dominate him or anything, but um, kind of were on the end of a tough result. They lost 2-0. And 
um, uh, I did not witness this, but I guess I guess you classify it as like kind of a mini tantrum. But uh, I had heard just catching wind like in the press box that um, Martin Rennie he kind of threw like a like a mini fit. Like I guess he I guess he just kept repeating like the pitch, the pitch. Just for clarity's sake, mm-hmm. I don't know if he was repeating like pitch, pitch, or the. But it just reminded me, you know, like a like a an eight year old tantrum of just like saying the same word, you know. So I guess like, hey, Martin, where are you going for dinner after this match? The pitch, the pitch, the pitch. Uh, he just like got, he like somehow something flipped, I think, in his head uh, after that first home opener. Because I remember thinking, I was like, man, he, you know, he's not new to this venue. But I guess, and sometimes, you know, people, if he was on the hot seat, like more than I thought, I guess, you know, some people, if you're in a tough situation, you look for a way out. You know, I'm a big, I, I also cover like boxing here locally. And I, uh, I guess to make a, a comparison, it's like, you know, you start to get, uh, let's say, a cut over your left eye, right? And, you know, you're finding a guy with like a big right hook. Mm. And you, you can still see, but like if the trainer or the doctor asked you like, hey, can you see? You know, maybe if you're looking for a way out, you kind of say, oh, I can't really see. You know, maybe we should stop this or whatever. So I think like as like pressure was kind of mounting, um, I think that that kind of became his scapegoat that he latched onto this hating the surface so much. Right. Hmm. Cause like the story I wrote, it kind of, I mean, I almost felt like I was focusing on that unnecessarily too much, but at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I was trying to find like another smoking gun, like surely this is it, you know, but I, I couldn't, at least in my digging, I couldn't really find that he had been given like an ultimatum recently. Like, Hey, if you lose like these next few games or whatever, you're out of here, you know? So I don't know if he was putting more pressure on himself. Um, you know, possibly I'm not privy to conversations and maybe he was massively on the hot seat, hanging on by a thin thread. Um, if that was the case, I wasn't privy to that. Um, okay. But how, I, thinking back to how he reacted about the field in that, in that first game, um, and then he kept reiterating and complaining about the pitch. And then even in his meltdown and his saying thank you and I need to talk to the owner, and he, he's, was very, I mean, he's very specific about how he can't play his style on the surface. So hmm. I, I was looking for better reasons, but I'm like, man, this guy really does hate this surface. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Could be. That, so quickly, what is the surface like? I thought, isn't it a turf? If I remember correctly, I've been there. I just don't yeah, remember. It's, it's, I guess you'd call it kind of old school AstroTurf. So okay. Lucas Oil Stadium, where they've been at the previous three seasons, also has turf. Right. But it, I mean, this is NFL turf we're talking about where the yeah. Indianapolis Colts play. So it's the highest grade possible. I mean, you know, no, no one ever likes playing soccer on turf, but if you're going to play, um, and in fact, like the turf was recently upgraded, I think, um, mm. prior to the 2020 season. Uh, and that's why if you watch like the first year Indy played in Lucas Oil, they used to green out the lines. So yeah. you couldn't see the dreaded football lines like all over the pitch. But um, then, like Lucas Oil, because it's an NFL team, so they they replace the the turf, you know, a lot more often than somewhere like a Carroll Stadium, and so it already I don't think was like too terrible to begin with, but they even upgraded it like recently in 2020. So um, I, as far as I know, Rennie was like fairly satisfied with how that surface played, cool. and even though even though it's turf in both places, I would, to be honest, clarify the Carroll Stadium turf as way worse. So it's like old school AstroTurf, very bouncy. It takes forever for the ball to like settle to like a true roll, mm. and so it may even though the ball moves faster because it's like skidding or but you know the ball moves faster but the sl- the the play goes slower because 
It's hard, you know, it's harder to settle the ball. It's harder to bring it down. You know, what's one touch somewhere else becomes two. What's two becomes three. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, so like the, the surface is fast, but it plays slow, if that makes sense. It does, and yeah. It is. No, I think that makes sense. Okay. Uh, that clarifies because I, I think people don't know if they haven't been there. And I've been there once and I didn't know. Um, l- let's talk about something else Drew mentioned and Drew Thompson mentioned in his article. It's the last thing I'll bring up, I swear. Uh, again, go read that article. It's really good. It's good informant, uh, informing. Um, but scorched earth policy with with players, right? He kept mentioning that. And it, and it felt like a, a fan's attitude toward Rennie. You know, as fans, we get very attached to players and um this idea that Rennie would drop half of his team every year and um instead of retaining some of those guys drew obviously saw that as a very bad thing um it's pretty typical in the usl so i i don't know if that's necessarily a terrible thing but um i felt like last year and the year before that um your personnel was really nice like i really love i've loved indy for a while now and and i think your personnel was one of the main reasons i really liked the mixture of players the way you guys played it was really cool. Uh, this year, I was less excited after I saw them play. I was excited about the players. I was interested. But there were a lot of new faces, and it hasn't looked good this season. Can you kind of talk about the players every year? Do you agree with Drew? And, and what do you see as far as what, what I was just kind of mentioning? Yeah, so jumping back to how I was you know, kind of digging, looking for a smoking, a smoking gun or looking for a reason why Rennie was like massively upset about like something else besides the pitch. Um, so one thing that the Indy 11 did differently in the most recent offseason was they became active in the transfer market. It was kind of like the first day, you know, loan players before, but um, this was the first time they actively were like transferring players to MLS too. They Josh mm-hmm. Penn, um, Cal Jennings, on the top of my head, I'm forgetting like one or two others. Tyler Passion, um, of course. Oh, yeah, I'll pass her to the dynamo. How can I forget that? Um, and so, yeah, so he lost his best player. Um, and, you know, because COVID hit, a lot of all professional teams, but especially like lower division ones, are, you know, they're hurting financially because a greater percentage of their revenue comes from ticket sales. And if they're restricted in that regard, obviously, you know, it's, it's easy to predict there's going to be like a pretty significant financial hit, especially, you know, at a level where like teams aren't making money hand over fist to begin with. So, mm-hmm. um, Rennie, like none of this stuff happened without Rennie's approval. So, you know, even like, even if he reluctantly like went along with it. So like in my digging, he wasn't like, he didn't fight the move to Carroll Stadium. You know, he might've like asked like, Hey, is there any chance we could like replace this? And like, they said, no, but it wasn't like this massive point of contention. Um, Mm -hmm. And also I'm sure like Rennie probably wasn't pleased about losing Tyler Pasture and some of those other guys, but um he viewed it as like kind of necessary given the financial state of the club. And so he was like on board slash signed off on a lot of these moves, you know? Mm-hmm. And like I said, it could have been like reluctantly, no one wants to dump Tyler Pasher, one of the best players in the league. I'm sure he would have loved yeah. to have him, but at the same time, you know, he's not going to hold back a player's development. If he's capable of getting minutes at the highest level around here, you know, you got to let that happen. And so, yeah, as you said, the, the roster didn't blow you away this year i don't think the roster is too too bad i definitely you're right about the roster last year by the way i, I was very impressed with it and i'm shocked that a roster that strong can't make the playoffs so uh, yeah. that's definitely like a, a blemish on, on to Rennie's legacy but um I, I mean i think the roster right now is good enough for this team to make the playoffs so i don't think yeah. it's terrible 
Yeah, and I, I think there was a lot of turnover, so I do think he was still going to have to to work with it. But I think if you see any team that has a talent like Tyler Pasher, that when you lose them, it's just like it's a massive change. It's a massive transition. I think it's really hard for a lot of of teams to make up for that because, um, you know, you saw it with um, Romario Williams when he left Charleston Battery. That was like it destroyed them when that happened and for a year you know and then they were good the next year um so you know i guess i've just been thinking about that kind of stuff about how you felt about this roster um and how i felt about last year and, and there were also some weird things going on too is you know Ilya Illich left without getting tons of minutes for you guys last year really talented player at least in his previous club and uh, Anna Voltson left midseason, right? Didn't he go over to Sacramento after? I don't know if that was like just a fit problem. Dane Kelly wasn't playing every game for a while, and it felt like some really strange stuff was happening throughout the years. Did you ever get any vibe that that had anything to do with maybe his personality or the player's personality or just a, a bad mix of the two? I don't think it has anything to do with personalities. I think it's just purely a, a, a style, a coaching mm. style, a tactical thing. So, like, Rennie, you have to give him mad props for the development of Tyler Passion. You know, you get a guy, mm. supposedly he's a fullback when you get him, you turn him into one of the best attacking players in the league. But that's, that's always kind of been the story with Rennie. For every, like, gem or, you know, every gem he finds when he's sifting through the rubble, there's, there, there's two players for every one that massively underachieve. Dane Kelly, Aina Voltson, Ilya Illich. There's always, like, one guy who destroyed – the world somewhere else and then he comes here and just was underutilized for whatever reason um same goes for i know people aren't a huge fan of this name right now andrew carlton who had a, a rough yeah rough season um but yeah he to be honest i mean carlton looked good when he played for the indy 11 last year but somehow like wasn't getting the minutes so so for every like positive story there's like two stories of frustration to go with it i'm glad you mentioned those carlton very clearly changed his attitude in Indy. That was super easy to see, and he wasn't even a starter, right? We saw this kid battling for a spot on a very talented roster. Uh, he played well when he played, but he wasn't perfect. You could see why he was rotating Carlton out, um, but you could see a change in his attitude as far as um, how hard he was working, how much he respected his teammates, and um, it was definite change. So that's a positive. I'm so glad you mentioned that. The other positive is, you know, I don't know if any of that's true, but like, Pasher was like a troubled player, right? I mean, he had had injuries. He was misused. Um, but clearly, Rennie used him to the best of his abilities under Indy. And we're showing, not, we're being shown now that, you know, he put him in the right spot because that's how Houston's using him, like pretty much the same exact way uh, to success on the next level, which has been wonderful to see. So I'm so glad you mentioned some of those positives about Rennie because it's totally true. Just it's maybe perhaps more provable than the stuff I was mentioning. Yeah, if I had to describe Rennie's style um, at its best when things are clicking, um, it's so I wouldn't call like the Indy Eleven a team that possesses like a ton, but they do want to control the midfield. You know, like kind of control the ball, control the midfield. Um, without maybe, you know, dominating possession. But and if you look at, like, the passes completed stats, like uh, Neville Hackshaw and Tyler Gibson, who we had the two years prior to this year, uh, those guys all, would always be, like, high on those lists uh, mm -hmm. uh, of minutes played and passes completed. And um, kind of the way things work, I guess the best way to describe it is 
uh, a ringing team that's best kind of wants you to lull, to lull you to sleep, kind of suffocate you in the midfield and frustrate you in the midfield, and then hit you out on the counter. Oftentimes, that's getting Tyler Pasher into space. Um, oftentimes, that's Tyler Pasher dribbling. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, that's Iose dribbling or working a one-two with Gibson or someone else. Um, or sometimes Iose, who plays a really nice long ball, it'll change the field. Um, and that's often how Indy got out and, and running and would try to hit you on the counter. And that's when most of uh, Indy's success occurred, when you could break the lines and you know get Tyler Pasher running downhill toward goal. Uh, and into space and losing that this year um, this team just hasn't really developed an identity yet you know I, I'm just seeing like I think there's enough talent in this team but it just you know it looks like um, uh, the situation where like the, the some of the parts you know isn't quite there yet you know compared to the individual parts completely agree that's how I view it as well um, so I'm interested to see you know the next coach I you know obviously an interim coach for a little while here how the team's used in the near future. So um, what do you think? Do you, where do you want to go next, Kevin? We can, you can bring up some other things. Uh, we can maybe fit in one or two more topics tonight. Sure. Yeah. Well, I wanted to, so I also was like, okay, because Indy was having a great season in 2020 at one point, they were top the table um, mm-hmm. for a while and things just started to spiral out of control and, you know, so I'm like, did he lose the locker room? I was wondering that because I wanted to point out, um, like, Drew Connor, who played um, a year and a half under Rennie um, in the central midfield. He replied to – so uh, a local broadcaster here, Rich Nye, who captured – like, he was he was one of the first, you know, blue check mark Twitter accounts to mention, like, the Martin Rennie comments after the game, the alarming comments. And so he, his tweet's the one that, you know, kind of got the most traction and – and so, if you down below that tweet, Drew Connor replied to that tweet, and all that. Uh, I don't want, oh, yeah, I don't want to butcher that. So his exact quote was blaming dot 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 again, <laughs> right? So that's obviously a negative comment mm-hmm. um, about a player who you know was on the team last year, not on the team this year. So um, I, you know, I was digging too. And what is what do the players think of Rennie? Um, what did the players think of running last year? Did he lose the locker room? Is that one of the, re- the reasons why there was so much turnover this year? Mm. And what I found was really that it's, it's not accurate to characterize that Rennie lost the locker room. I think um, some of the stronger personalities, like a Drew Connor, I think their patience started wearing thin. But um, by no means, if you ask like a Tyler Pasher, like a Patty Barrett, I think they respected Rennie. Uh, I don't think they hated playing for him. So even as bad as things got and that very talented team missed the playoffs things, mm-hmm. as things came completely unraveled as the season wore on, um, you know, there were some, a couple of disgruntled players, but like by no means was there this like, you know, a universal vibe around the locker room, like, oh man, we don't want to play for this guy anymore. Um, and so despite all the roster turnover, that wasn't necessarily a factor. I think more mm-hmm. so just the results. Um, and also, you know, selling a lot of players and transferring a lot of players, you obviously, then you have to replace those guys. So, but yeah, just the, the roster turnover, I guess, was more like performance-based um, and not necessarily an indication that, you know, the, the whole the whole thing was burning down in Indy, per se. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, one other thing I wanted to add, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, this is petty. And I think we've all like liked, you know, or favorited a, a social media post that like maybe like you do it to what you're kind of on autopilot, you're scrolling through and you might 
because you're like you're like acknowledging oh i inter- i saw your tweet you know you and you're like oh i probably shouldn't like that because it was like really negative about and i don't agree with the opinion or whatever so but um the, one of the assistant coaches last year juan guerra who's now out in phoenix he's now yeah. an assistant for the rising um someone also um this was in the off season someone this was shortly after this, the 2020 season ended but someone made like a very negative social media post that like Rennie should go. We need a new leader. For, and like Juan Guerra had liked that post or, you know, favorited that post. And, you know, someone, someone always, I didn't see it, but someone always sees it and screenshots and then shares on social, you know? So I honestly, I probably wasted time to even say that. Cause I do take that with a grain of salt, if I'm being honest, but at the same yeah. time, it, when I saw, when I saw Drew Connors tweet, it kind of took me back and Hey, I wonder if Juan Guerra, if he had negative opinions and, but like I said, I couldn't I couldn't really um, confirm that Martin Rennie had lost like a, a large contingent of his players or anything. So I, I, yeah. I tried to find the conspiracy theories and there weren't too many. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. I, I tend to make them up in my brain. I always actually enjoy just like earlier when I kind of went negative on, on thought of all the negative things that Rennie could have done. You brought up some positive ones. I, I tend to need that. So uh, good teamwork today, man. <laughs> Um, yeah, for sure. Anything else you want to you want to mention? Maybe some stuff about future indie. You know, Josh Penn and the whole move that happened this season. I thought was super interesting. Feel free to touch on what, anything you want before we go. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a good bit of business. To like, you want to you want to create that image, even though you're getting rid of a Josh Penn and you're getting rid of a Tyler Pasher, you're getting rid of a Cal Jennings. Um, mm-hmm you want to have like that prestige, I guess you want to have that image of, Hey, you know, even though we're division two, we're a big enough club. We're a prominent enough club that, you know, we're even transfer, we're developing players and transferring them to upward, you know, like, it's just like if you apply for a job and they promise like upward mobility, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's a good look for the club just to be able to get to that place. And I think that's kind of what you saw with, and I think, and kudos to Indy for doing right by players. You know what I mean? You never want to hold a player back. So I would absolutely do the same thing. You know, the young kid comes up to me with the opportunity to go to MLS or somewhere else. I mean, sure. You know, let's make it happen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's big. It's important for the league to get there too. I I really do hope that there was money involved that helps the club more than it hurts it. You know, that's debatable, of course, but you know, the USL, I'm sure the league really liked that move, especially now that we've seen, other than the injury, I mean, he was really good in those first few games. Like, you could even argue that Houston's been Houston's been bad since he got injured, actually. So I think it's really interesting to see that move, and, and the league needs more of it, and so I'm glad Indy went along with that, even though, you know, the trade-off being maybe they had a, a really tough start here. Yeah, I, I don't think... I don't think anyone should be giving up on the season yet. You know what I mean? Oh, I agree. Fifth place. Um, It looks terrible, but yeah, I mean, you lost three in a row, but you did just pick up the biggest win, beat rival Lou City. And I don't know if someone's going to be able to write the ship, but I mean, so like some of the teams in the central, even teams that are above Andy right now, um, I mean, they don't, they're talented, but they don't like jump off the page as being night and day better than, you know, some other teams or, you know, they don't look like, you know, the best side of the league or anything. So mm-hmm. I think the Central is very competitive and very even. And I think Indy has a decent chance to, to write this shit. So if the interim coaches are, you know, kind of able to get everyone on the same page. 
Yeah, and there's always a new coach bump. Everyone likes to talk about that. It'll happen, right? And and to be honest, there's a good base there. You know, if Indy just continues, they've had some ugly defensive games recently, but I don't think that's them, naturally. I think if they can defend, solidify that, and maybe there's fresh ideas that come in or a little more freedom, you know, things happen with new coaches that maybe the attack will figure itself out. And, you know, if, if they solidify the defense or keep it sturdy and they come up with attacking ideas, Indy's going to be a very dangerous game. And let's be honest, all you got to do in the USL is make it to the playoffs, and then Lord knows what you could do from there. A whole season can be terrible if the playoffs go right, everyone's happy, right? So I could very easily see Indy doing that. I'm glad you mentioned that earlier and repeated it at the end here because um, it, the USL, in a way, can be a very forgiving league in that way, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's up for grabs this year. I think there's a ton of great soccer to be played um, in the Central Division and beyond. I mean, I, I haven't watched as much the West Coast this year, but I'm trying to, to follow the Western Conference, too, a little bit more in kind of the second half of the season. But, yeah, it's just crazy how things work out. Indy was atop the table looking great just a month ago, and now things just completely went south. So, <laughs> Yeah, who knows? Anything's possible in this league. Absolutely. Um, I think we'll stop there, though. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's Kevin Johnston. Um, While you were talking, I was able to figure out that you wrote that article for the Indy Star. To be honest, two things happened there. I tend to gravitate toward the ones like the blogs and the the Indy posts. And so I read Drew's article and I saw that a local newspaper had an article. I just skipped right over it because I didn't realize it was you. You know, it's it's a great article. <laughs> so I'm so sorry oh, that I skipped yeah. over it. Um, so everyone look into that. Kevin Johnston is KJ Boxing on Twitter. Um, check out that Drew Thompson article um, as well. Uh, what is his blog actually called? I forgot again. The Game Beckons. There you go. Two great articles about this whole Martin Rennie situation. Obviously, these guys know a lot about the team. They're the place you want to go to read it. Um, the other side about uh, the Indy, you being a writer for the Indy Stars, I don't usually pull newspaper writers to this show, so I feel very special now. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm technically a freelancer, so I'm not even, uh, by definition, an Indy Star employee. So I guess Counts. you can only just feel kind of good for having me. <laughs> I'm counting it, man. All right, Kevin. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, I hope, man. Yeah, for sure. I had a lot of fun. I'd love to get you on our podcast sometime, if we ever fire it back up. But, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Hope to connect with you soon. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back at you next week. 